0: from the numbers Your statistics and sports podcast I'm your host Joshua Tracy
1: and I am Corwin Heller
0: and we are wearing matching hats today completely unplanned uh, for those not watching the visuals Corwin in his um, Padres pitching ninja hat and Josh in his white camouflage pitching ninja hat
1: because Josh doesn't want to be seen so he's trying to blend in but I yeah am- now like we're not even saying that ironically this was a genuine oh shit Oh, both open up the zoom call and it's oh hey nice out good job Where'd it be?
0: yeah and what's what's great is that um one of our logos i think is probably reversed on my screen um because it's it's like they're, they're mirrored so it's a really cool look, little, little little effect for me it's like i see both sides of the pitching ninja pitching ninja logo which is a <laughs> wonderful logo i love the logo it's a um, nice logo rob please come on the show
1: <laughs> hey rob please we'll we'll go all out for you you are our like what's the pinnacle like a george clooney for like a talk show i don't know i don't watch enough talk shows to know like who the a george star Ge- george yeah. <laughs> uh the merv griffin show right
0: oh yeah Is i guess he builds
1: in his in his uh apartment
0: yeah yeah well kramer did that but yeah
1: yeah. yeah, but George is on it. He comes on the he show.
0: Was. That was, oh, that's so fun. All right. Anyway, we're going to get, we're dressed very baseball for an episode that is not centrally about baseball. Um, mm-hmm. as we have to pick up where we left off with discussing, uh, team drafts and how that affects, or really divisional drafts, uh, going down by team to see how that affects, uh, how their drafts changed, if anything, their, um, how we view them or how they may well be viewed as threats to do more damage within their division. And that brings us to uh, the Northern divisions. And we'll start with the AFC since alphabetically, that's what comes first. Uh, And so we'll start again, going by last season's um, where they finished last season in the standings. We'll be starting with the, uh, I really wanted to say Pittsburgh Penguins, and then I really wanted to say Pittsburgh Pirates, and it's neither of those teams. Um, <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's talk about some Steelers.
1: Man, I was, I was kind of hoping we were going to save them, either have them go first or save them to last. So we're just going to get into it first right off the bat.
0: Hold on. Let me give the names.
1: You go for it.
0: All right. So they drafted running back Najee Harris, tight end Pat Friermuth.
1: Friermuth.
0: Uh, Friermuth. That's there's too many vowels in there they should cut him. Um center Kendrick Green, offensive tackle Dan Moore, linebacker Buddy Johnson, defensive end Isaiah Loudermilk, wonderful name. Um outside linebacker Quincy Roche, cornerback Trey Norwood and punter Presley Harvin the 3rd. Uh Corin, this is your team. Tell me about yes, it.
1: Yes it is. This is the Pittsburgh Steelers and I think they're the Pinnacle example of why we ended up, uh, which we talked about last episode, not doing a solely first round focused episode and waiting to do all of the teams with their full classes because if you were purely going to go off day one with the Steelers drafting Najee Harris over any of the offensive linemen, you would have thought, "Wow, these guys are going to hate this pick. It's you know ridiculous." Where You know, they've been talking shit about, you know, the likelihood of them going running back first, a position that is not nearly as valuable as, you know, an offensive tackle, both cost wise, uh, longevity wise and um, draft capital wise. But then you take a step back, look at the draft as a whole, look at what the Steelers were able to do and the positions they were, were able to take and when. And you see kind of how the draft inevitably fell. And I'm warming up to this. You know, it, I know it was going to happen at some point. Um, it always does. You look through and you rationalize it, and you're not just going off of headlines or gut reactions or draft grades, you know, 30 minutes after they get drafted. And you say, hey, you listen to what general manager Kevin Colbert has to say. And his whole theory was look, we're not going to buy into the whole premise of you can't take a running back early because it's not valuable. You know, the goal of any draft is at the end of the day, take the most talented players you can in areas that can help you. And, you know, we see what Najee Harris can do and it's so just game changing. So, you know, edge creating, just adding that extra gear, that extra element to your offense compared to an offensive tackle. And we're okay paying that premium to get a player like that. And you look at the draft and where this uh, draft has a lot of depth and where it's really shallow. And you look at running back where it's the shallowest position in this draft. You have Harris, you have ETN and you have uh, Javante Williams, who's the only three guys with even a second round grade. Okay. You go after shallow positions because you're not going to be able to get them in later rounds in places where you could in past years and you could find those you know Alvin Kamara's Kareem Hunt's you know late round guys and then you look at tight ends a two tight end class essentially you know there's a couple of guys with you know decent prospectus and decent status coming in but it was a Kyle Pitts way way up high and then Pat Friermuth was a guy who you know from the start was right there with Kyle Pitts and once we saw how You know, he played this season. Pitch just took that enormous lead. But Friar a great red zone pass catcher. Did not have a single drop in the red zone in his career. He's capable of blocking. He's capable of, you know, pushing downfield. He can do anything the Steelers really ask of him. Not necessarily in the same dynamic way Kyle Pitts does. You know, not trying to uh, compare those guys at the very least. And you see, all right, you can get Kendrick Green and, the third rounds, who's a guy who's very capable of being a day one starter who fits their run game who fits their pass block style um and who does whatever he needs to do just a little smaller and that's a guy who can come in and start for a team that's obviously trying to contend we can see that as their game plan you know from the first round second round third round we're hitting all of these major holes that we need to fix to contend with ben now rather than rebuilding And, you know, Buddy Johnson fills a major need for us. Dan Moore, taken just before him in the fourth round, is going to be a guy who could come in and contend, not this year, but next year. You know, Quincy Roche is a steal in the sixth round, and Presley Harvin is a guy who can come in and and is going to be our starting punter this year and is I got 235-pound punter, which is just fucking awesome. He could just lay some hate down. Um, In that regard... He's a little guy. I'm sorry? little
0: guy. He's a little guy. guy. Yeah.
1: You know, Trey Norwood is probably going to be a practice squad guy for us. Going to move to safety. And the really big question mark here, the one that everyone, you know, passed the Fryer, Muth, and Harris picks early on because of position. Loudermilk's really the only guy that really threw a lot of beat writers and scouts for a loop because a lot of people had him as a, you know, late day three, seventh round You know, um, uh, undrafted free agent kind of player, priority free agent kind of guy. But Pittsburgh and, you know, their defensive coordinators or defensive coaches kind of were like, hey, this guy looks like Cam Hayward when he was a sophomore. He's just a couple years behind Cam Hayward, just needs to keep bulking up, just needs to refine the technique. We think we could get a, you know, a Cam Hayward kind of player, you know, at a discount in, the seventh round, or I'm sorry, in the fifth round compared to late day one, which is where Cam was taken, he just needs that time to grow and develop. And hey, if they have Cam Hayward in-house, they saw a lot of louder milk at Wisconsin. If they think they can be similar type players, they know what makes Cam Hayward Cam Hayward. If they're willing to trade a fourth round pick next year for him in the fifth this year and develop him into that kind of player, okay, you know what? I trust the front office. That's, you know, the biggest thing we got to remember about all this is you just got to trust the front office. They know more than us. And that's the Steelers draft. You know, I was talking shit when we first had our uh, uh, initial gut reactions and on Twitter during the draft. And here I am a week and a half later, content with it.
0: Hmm. I, uh, yeah, we we had also talked before the draft about whether all this Najee Harris talk was – some level of you know intentional rumor milling to drum up interest in him to maybe take up a spot that uh, would allow a player that the Steelers liked to fall a little bit further and you know or if it was legitimate and it feels so rare for them to actually be legitimate especially this late in the first round um but yeah I mean it it was there um out of curiosity sure would you have rather had um Naji Harris who mm-hmm. uh, it also just seems so odd to be the first running back taken at 24 feels like usually we get a running back someone early yeah. yeah like at least i don't know 10 picks earlier but anyway um so would you rather have had Naji Harris or the first offensive lineman taken in the draft after him, which would be Travis Jenkins out of Oklahoma State.
1: Kevin Jenkins. What did I say? Travis.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't know why I said that. Tevin Jenkins.
1: So, yeah, I mean, Tevin Jenkins is the guy that I would have wanted to take in the first round if, you know, we were at that pick. If I had a choice of who to take, he would have been my guy. Looking back, would I rather have... So, basically, the, the top three running backs were all taken before the Steelers second pick. So there wouldn't have been the option to take a Javonta Williams, who I would have liked in the second round, or a Travis Etienne, who was taken by Jacksonville with like I think it was it was the first pick in the second round, unless they did trade back. Um,
0: first pick in the second round was Jacksonville, Tyson Campbell.
1: Tyson Campbell, so they had a second pick in the second round for Travis Etienne? Or did they take him in the first?
0: No, Travis Etienne was taken in the first. He was taken the pick the after the Steelers, pick, pick
1: 25. Of the Jaguars, not in the second round. Okay. I got myself confused there and I shouldn't have, but it's okay. That's okay, buddy. We do that. Um, You know, basically it would have led to us probably punting running back, probably taking like a, I don't even know, probably would have taken like a Michael Carter kind of guy or a Trey Sermon kind of guy uh, a little bit later on, maybe in the third round. At the end of the day, hindsight being 2020, without that certainty of how it would have fallen after that versus the certainty of what we got and the comfort with what we got, you know, what you have versus what you can't predict. um, I think I'd be more content with just staying put rather than risking it and kind of spinning that wheel again to see how it turns out. Um, But at that pick, at the time, in the moment, I wanted Devin Jenkins.
0: I mean, that that, that is fair. I, and, you know, like you said, um, it's not like the Steelers did not address the offensive line. They ended up taking um, a center and an offensive tackle with uh, picks, their third and fourth picks. And by taking a tight end with their second pick, I mean, a tight end is... a guy is, that can block. Yeah, I, I, I mean, even a bad blocking tight end is still technically a guy who should be blocking for use X percentage of the mm-hmm. time. Um, whether they're effective at it or not is a different story. But like, I mean, that goes with everyone who's asked to block anything. Um, so, th- you know, they, they did do all of that. Um, I think a running back that a high level running back could be effective also for the Steelers at this point in their, I don't know, slowly shifting errors. Some guy that could take some pressure off of Roethlisberger today, to make more throws so you know a guy who can be st- steady backfield presence to help limit how much Roethlisberger has to work with the arm in the pocket reduce the amount of hits he might have to take and then assuming you move on from Roethlisberger this next season after this season because he is old and you know you have to expect that at some point good running back could help ease a new quarterback into the role so
1: mm-hmm. I yeah mean- we'll see if the Steelers did go offensive line early, didn't have those guys available, did end up just deciding, hey, we'll punt the position in the draft, sign a guy outside of the draft. You look at who's available now, and it's Todd Gurley, Duke Johnson, Rex Burkhead, LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore, (laughs) Le'Veon Bell. Um, Not really any of these guys that you would consider, you know, reliable ball carriers at this point you know Adrian Peterson LaShawn McCoy have been you know their load has been declining each year they're getting older you know Duke Johnson Rex Burkhead are kind of more pass catchers not a guy you would want as a, a you know number one running back and Todd Gurley has a lot of questions Mark going along with his age and with his health I'll just stick with being content with where we are and just happy that it turned out in a good enough fashion in the way it did.
0: So now for the question, and -hmm. it's a little bit difficult because this is, this is a good division. Unlike the other two divisions we've done so far, does this affect the Steelers um, forward looking outlook for their placement in the division? They finished first by one game. So again, Mm -hmm. it's, tough because the margin is, is very small um
1: right. and it's tough because the the three teams at the top of this division are gonna be so crazy close it's it's really gonna be it's gonna come down to these interdivision division games like how these series split these are gonna be uh just insanely valuable when it comes to playoff seeding time and the wild card for you know who gets in and who doesn't because I think it's going to be very hard for all three of those teams to make the playoffs. One division getting both wild card spots while they're playing each other is going to be really tough. So, you know, if they can have, you know, at least two of those guys, if Kendrick Green, Green, if Najee Harris well, can come there, in and start.
0: There are three. Are they doing the three wild cards again?
1: Are they? I honestly haven't checked and haven't looked into it. I kind of kinda just
0: assumed they would, but I also didn't look into that at all.
1: Uh, it's honestly, I haven't thought about that since the playoffs. Let's check it out, NFL playoff. Um
0: the only I thing I have calling. here is from March of 2020. Oh wait, hold on. I got something from January 2021. NFL expanded playoffs explain. Oh no, this is just explaining the playoffs that happened already. This isn't any new developments, I... Yeah, I don't know. Everything I see is about last season's playoffs.
1: Yeah, I don't see anything about the actual playoff. It's all projections and odds and things like that. Hmm. We'll have to actually dig into that when we're not, quote-unquote, live.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, then let's... uh, I want to ask, like, you know, are we going to operate under the assumption that they're going to keep... Last year's shit, the way that the MLB has – the MLB – the way that MLB has kept some remnants of the COVID season's rules, you know, with extra innings being seven innings – or, sorry, double-headers being seven innings and extra innings having the run-around second. Those were layover rules that they – you know, from uh, last year's COVID season they kept in. I'm wondering – because change, I think, is always harder, whether it's a reversion or it's progress – and since it's already here i'd imagine it might actually be tougher to get everyone together to say fuck this shit let's go back to the um former the 12 team um playoff structure Uh, versus saying all right let's keep this 14 team shit i have
1: 12 total
0: yeah i don't know um here, you know what, let's keep going with the division and we'll loop yeah. back around to how how these drafts shake it out because it might be a little bit easier if we have all of them under our belt.
1: That so, works for me. All
0: right, cool. Let's move it on then to the second-place team of the division, the Baltimore Ravens. Um, yes, sir. The Ravens, in their draft, took wide receiver Rashad Bateman, outside linebacker Odafi Owe, guard Ben Odafie. Cleveland. Huh? Odafe. It's a great name. Uh, cornerback Brandon Stevens, wide receiver Tylen Wallace, cornerback Sean Wade, outside linebacker Dalen Hayes, and tight end Ben Mason. Uh, well, you know, the uh, Ravens fans have said, Give our man Lamar Jackson weapons, give Lamar Jackson weapons. And the uh, Ravens took a first round wide receiver, uh, they got him some more protection at, uh, in, in the, uh, um, offensive line with guard ben cleveland they took uh, another wide receiver and another tight end or a tight end late in the game uh so it looks like that's what they're working on um uh, what do you think
1: uh honestly this is one of my least favorite drafts in the Ooh. entire class uh, the Ooh. entire nfl this year uh solely because i'm a steelers fan and they fucking killed it Ah, I got you.
0: They had us in the first uh, half, not going to lie.
1: Yeah. You know, their biggest need was, hey, they needed some pass catchers to help ease the progression of Lamar Jackson, need guys to catch the ball and can be, you know, both with size and with a large catch radius and the ability to push downfield to keep, the, keep what makes Lamar Jackson going to keep you know advancing that keep getting him better in that regard and Rashad Bateman was you know my number four wide receiver and being able to get him at 27 is fantastic value for the Ravens and then four picks later taking you know my top remaining edge rusher and Odafe Owe you know Penn State guy who has just absolutely freakish athleticism numbers his big drawback this year going into the draft. And the reason he likely wasn't, you know, a top 15 pick top, you know, 12 pick was he did not record a single sack last season playing for Penn state. You know, granted that was a shortened season. And I'll tell you, I watched every, you know, every game. I saw him play all season long. He was still making an impact every game, every quarter, every series. He was still able to show up. He was able to show that athleticism, get pressure down it just didn't result in any actual recorded sacks. So still love that. I love the Ben Cleveland value at 94. The guy is an absolute monster and can be a mauler on that interior line that needed some help. Um, Brandon Stevens, I honestly, I, I don't know too much about it fits a big need for them, a place where they need some depth. And he's a guy that could come in and play serious minutes. I like the upside of Tylan Wallace, um, uber productive in college. Uh, Same with actually Sean Wade. He was very, very productive in college, or at least his freshman year, he showed some incredible highlight reels, tapered off a lot and was really picked on. And I shouldn't say he had great production levels, but he was targeted a lot. He played a lot of snaps. And if they can figure out the technique, if they can figure out the potential and match that and play him up, you know, he's going to be their number four cor- corner, doesn't have a ton of pressure on him, and has the ability to play way above his draft grade or his draft pick uh, if he can work that out. Uh, ben Mason, uh, Josh, you know my old college roommate, Dan, correct?
0: I do indeed.
1: This is actually his cousin.
0: Oh, ben that's Mason, cool. fullback
1: out of Michigan. Yeah, Newport, uh, Newport, Connecticut. You know what? Where he whites are next made. To, he next to. Uh, oh God, I can't. He next talk. to. He next to, he grew up next to uh, John Boy when John Boy lived in Connecticut. John Boy was talking about it on the podcast uh, right after the draft. That's funny. Or right before the draft. So small world, crazy, a lot of smells. But yeah, that's, you know, Daylon <laughs> Hayes, guy who's going to fit in a, a need for them as well. A lot of smells? <laughs> um, it's a, uh, fuck, what's it from? It's from The Office.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Um, but yeah, Ravens draft, fucking killed it. Really hate how well they did. Um, Took a lot of players I liked um, and a lot of guys with uh, really great value picks. We'll see how it goes. It's going to suck because they are, I think at this point, they are like 1A to Cleveland's 1B as far as, you know, likelihood to win the division, rankings within the division, uh, solely because, you know, I think Cleveland has the more complete team. I think Cleveland has better depth at every position i just think lamar jackson has the ability to be a much better quarterback than baker mayfield we'll see if he can you know kind of make up the ground on some of their you know struggles some of their issues uh, with baltimore but damn it's going to be a wild race
0: yeah i would agree i mean this is the advantage of ha- the, the the only way you're going to be able to take advantage of having a dynamic playmaker a quarterback is if you give him the means to do so Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the things that has made Aaron Rodgers so incredible over the years is that when he 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 is wily and can hold on to the ball for as long as his wide receivers usually need to at least get relatively open. And as long Lamar as he Jackson chooses to, yeah, kinda. It's wild. Um, and Lamar Jackson just doesn't have that. Like, it really seems like that's one of the only things holding him back in the passing game is that there's just not often, you know, like. Hollywood Brown has been has been showing a lot of really good promise at getting separation downfield, but, like, you need more than that one guy.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, he has Mark Andrews. You know, Marquise Brown has shown those flashes, just not the consistency. You know, J.K. Dobbins is coming off a very good rookie year. There's a lot of playmakers here that can really make a difference. It's, you know, how can we capitalize? And I think what the Ravens are doing are – getting key pieces and and just continuing to kind of just up the talent pool with their team and they're, they're getting better. And, and, you know, I don't, I really shouldn't doubt Lamar Jackson after what he did coming out of Louisville and the way he was able to, to uh, take advantage of, you know, the play action passing game in Baltimore his MVP year. We kind of saw him take a big step back last year. And I don't want to doubt him. I want to fully believe that he can kind of come back next year with these added weapons and just take over and get right back to that playing level. And um, hey, guys like Rashad Bateman are the kind of pass catchers you need to make that change. And it fucking it's going to be a good year for them. Believe it or not, that's not much I of a feel uh, the pain while you said that. Yes, yeah, it's like I, I hate it. I don't want it to happen, but I believe it's going to happen.
0: All right, then let's get into the Browns next. Uh, okay, yes. And they yes, they took cornerback Greg Newsom, the second uh, linebacker Jeremiah owusu koromoa wide receiver. Great
1: pronunciation.
0: Thanks, Excellent. buddy. Um, you know it would also be helpful if I like looked at these names ahead of time, but that's <laughs> no fun. Um, wide receiver Anthony Schwartz, offensive tackle James Hudson, defensive tackle Tommy togaia nope togi Togai. togi
1: i am th- sorry tommy. one of the eyes is silent i think it's like July. oh it doesn't matter
0: hey tommy come on the show and tell us how to pronounce your name um we love yeah. to have you uh they also took linebacker tony fields the second safety richard lecount the third and running back Demetric. jesus josh Demetric felton um Really, this just feels like them tacking on depth in places where, I mean, you know, every group has a weak link somewhere. But I mean, like you said earlier, the Browns are a pretty well put together team. And this just feels this feels like the most BPA draft I've seen.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, Greg Newsom was a guy I thought could get taken right around where they picked. And I think he's going to be a guy that is going to go to a a very deep defensive backfield and, and be a playmaker for them. Um, Jeremiah Wusukoramoa is a guy that I thought would have been taken easily with a top 15 pick right there with Micah Parsons in that area. Uh, and everyone was kind of just like, we don't know what the hell is going on with his drop and why he's falling all the way to 52. And it did not come out until a couple of days after the draft that he had a heart condition that kind of scared some teams about his long-term health, uh, and his ability to even play, But, you know, supposedly the word is that he was cleared to play for last season. He was cleared to perform, you know, this offseason with all these drills and he's cleared to play for next season. And it shouldn't be an issue now. It might be something to watch for later on in his career. But at the end of the day, they're getting a day one Pro Bowl level, you know, starter at pick 52 that is going to be a, you know, probably the best player out of their entire class in the, you know, mid second round. Um Anthony Swartz is a guy who can run very 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 fast. Um like track speed kind of player ran a four to seven 40, uh Jesus. at his pro day. So yeah, lightning fast. I honestly haven't watched a whole ton of him. I didn't really kind of view him as, you know, a, a major player to watch. I didn't watch a ton of Auburn last year, so I know he has speed. I really don't know much about his route running, his change of direction. Like his. Oh, he's like literally a it. runner. Okay. Right. Like he's a track athlete kind of runner. So look, if that's the kind of guy they want to match with Odell Beckham and uh, Jarvis Landry to add some depth to their really, you know, shallow, you know, pretty shallow wide receiving core help out Baker Mayfield, take the top off the defense. It could absolutely work out for them. Um, And then, you know, James Hudson was a guy with some pretty immense potential and some flashes at the senior bowl that um, is going to add some depth on an already great offensive line. And again, like the rest of these are just attacking positions where they need some depth. And they already had a complete team going into the draft. You know, it's something we saw last year. We saw them in free agency and everyone they were able to land. They don't need difference makers. They need role players. And they just happen to get two difference makers with the possibility for a third. So pretty great draft for the Browns. Another one. I'm really, I really just hate to see um, because I, I really want them to be bad. But at the end of the day, they're my one B for the AFC North. The Steelers kind of a, a solid two just with the question mark of Ben's arm and his ability to kind of carry a team. right? Um, Even if that, Probably won't be the plan, the game plan going into the season. We'll still see. But uh, good draft for the Browns.
0: All right, so let's go to the Bengals, and then we'll just kind of look over the AFC North again after that. Um, so the Bengals, in their draft, it's like wide receiver, Jamar Chase. Offensive tackle, Jackson Carmen, Defensive end, Joseph Osai. Defensive end, Cameron Sample. Defensive tackle, Tyler Shelvin. I'm wondering if there's a theme. Offensive tackle, Deontay Smith. Kicker, Evan McPherson. Center, Trey Hill. Running back, Chris Evans. Okay. Um, And defensive end, Wyatt Hubert. Um, Man, this is an interesting draft.
1: Uh, I'll be honest, I don't love it. You know, it, it wasn't something I necessarily hated outright. I mean, you're able to get a guy like Jamar Chase, you know, already right there is something you love, you know, connecting him with Joe Burrow. Obviously, that's a pick because it's one Joe Burrow wanted. I think with the issues with your team and and overall, even with the guys we were able to get at offensive tackle, I think Penny Sewell was the smart choice with the wide receivers they could have had in the second and even the third.
0: You know what, I forgot that they were high enough to get Panay Sewell. Yes, they yeah, probably should just, have done that.
1: Again, we kind of saw it this year with offensive tackles getting pushed farther and farther down the down the draft with Panay Sewell going 6th to the Lions, I want to say. You know, uh, Rashawn Slater going, uh, geez, what was that, to the Chargers? Panay, like Panay
0: Sewell went 7th to Detroit. And what was the name you just said?
1: Rashawn Slater to the Chargers.
0: Um, he went 13th 13th of the chargers okay. so you're so off, each off each by, each one by
1: one of those picks each time yeah. awesome um you know even christian derisaw was like early 20s uh right before the steelers pick um you know they took jackson carmen in the second as their second round pick kind of moved back in that round and I'm not a huge fan of his as a uh, as a prospect. I think there were better options even available. Um, but supposedly they're a fan of his. Whatever you know, they know a lot more about him than I will, uh, and that's who their preference was. I do really like the Joseph Asai pick. I think he's a guy who can come in and and be a early starter early, uh, or a guy who can get those early snaps um, even if it is a limited role. And I think he has a lot of potential as just a a high motor, just never gonna give up, always gonna, you know, keep pressure on, not let plays get away from him, kind of edge rusher. But the rest of this class, I just am not sold on. I don't think Cameron Sample is, you know, a difference maker. I don't think any of these other guys in the fourth round are anyone who's gonna come in and and really make a huge difference. They did go offensive line twice in this class, which is good. You want to see that, you want to see them try and protect Joe Burrow. And both of these guys are going to be able to probably start year one because their offensive line is better, but not in a good spot uh, for a franchise-changing player like Joe Burrow. Not the direction I would have taken it. You know, I don't want to shit too much because they did get players that they view as starters, as day one guys. And again, NFL front offices, scouting departments, they'll know better. You know, you can't sit here and talk – shit on an entire team and say hi hey, you fucking suck you guys don't know anything when they're spending hours upon hours with all data that we are not privy to with information they're not privy to but they are the clear number four for the afc north uh in both terms of standings and draft classes um it's uh, a few years yeah there, there's no doubt about that
0: it it's just it's interesting to see with all that, it feels as though we know today to still see a team that has yet to put a competent offense on the field devote so much of the early goings of their draft to the defense.
1: And not and create a difference-making defense.
0: Right. Because it's not like they were a few picks away from mm-hmm. having a lockdown, you know, like early Patriots run stop everything defense. It's a, it's a bad defense. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not a good by, by yards allowed last season, the Bengals allowed the seventh most yards in the NFL, 6,227 yards total. And they had a really high scoring percent, which is, you know, to say allowing the other team to score 43.3% of drives. For them ended in a score that's that's 11th
1: worst
0: yeah so like in both fronts like they are bad like they were bad 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 they were not good um totally understand the need to address that however this feel that it feels like what they're doing is like what the jets did for sam darnold's career Mm -hmm. which is like hey we got a quarterback fuck it let's go build a defense now and obviously the Jamar chase pick is he's still going to be a good wide receiver. I get that.
1: He has the chance to be the best wide receiver. If, if he really is as good as you know, he can be.
0: And that's one of the things that the jets never did for Sam Darnold. They never got him that wide receiver. That could really be a difference maker. Like, and I, and I totally respect that at the same time, I think, maybe a little bit of devotion towards the offensive line. I totally forgot they were supposed to take Panay Sewell. That was a big conversation amongst Bengals fans for the entirety of the lead up to the draft. You're going to have a harder time finding those locked in amazing offensive linemen than you are finding good to serviceable to good wide receivers, which really at the end of the day gets you pretty far. I'm not going to say it's good. It's, it wins you everything, but I mean, it gets you pretty far Mm -hmm. having a bad offensive line stops any, any ability for you to be any any good. If if Joe Burrow doesn't have the ability to hold onto the ball for more than a second and a half, he's fucked. It (laughs) it just doesn't matter who you got. Like he's fucked. And that's, that's Sam Darnold's whole career with the jets, which is why it's a little bit frustrating to see the Bengals do this, even though I don't really give a shit about their stupid fucking franchise
1: agree. I, I don't necessarily want to sit here and, and try and tell you, oh, man, I want the Bengals to do super well. I want them to compete soon, Like blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, I, I want to see Joe Burrow do well because it's a great storyline. He's a great player, great guy. You want to see him do well in the NFL. And if the Bengals fucking suck for the next two decades, the rest of my life even, I don't, I don't give a shit. That's hilarious. Um, but I will say there is something on the fact that he was a guy who – Brought out the best of both of them when they were playing together at LSU. Obviously, when your franchise quarterback, the guy you want to have for the next 20 years, is pushing to have a guy that he's comfortable with, a guy he has a chemistry with already, you know, trying to come back from an, uh, a shortened rookie season because of injury, trying to get um, Jamar Chase up to speed early on, trying to make a difference early. He's the guy that's getting hit. And if he, th- is more comfortable having chase out there and is okay with, you know, giving that up along the offensive line. There's something to be said about listening to him kind of understanding, having that relationship where you guys can, can be open about that kind of stuff with each other and, you know, work to improve the team that way. I get that. There's something also to be said about, Hey, of course he's going to want to have his friend on his team that they get along with you know you know it's not just on the field we kind of need to make those kind of business decisions as a management of a team not as a player on the team so I honestly think I would have been okay with either player personally the way I would build a team that we talk about so often would be to get that left tackle to protect him even you know that being said they have a guy like Jonah Williams there you know they have the ability to add other pieces. They did go after other pieces. They did like. I'm okay with it. I'm not going to shit on them too hard for just the one pick there, especially when they still got a guy with this must this much potential. All
0: right. So let's take let's take a broader view now and look at the AFC North as a picture. I think we can effectively say that the Bengals draft while well, the team improves. Like you know, there, there's it's it's like um. It's like inflation in a way, like adjusting for inflation. Like, if you don't improve a little bit, then you basically get worse, <laughs> is really how. Because everyone around you is improving a little bit in the draft, which means that if you don't improve, mm-hmm. unless you are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you just won the Super Bowl and your team's really, really good and you've like, there's nothing for you to really do. um, And even then in the draft, they can replace death players and still like get better. Um, right. So, it, like, un- unless if you if you don't improve a little bit, you have you've gotten worse by the fact that you did not improve. <laughs> you know, same way. Whereas, like, if your wage doesn't move in a given year, but inflation was one percent, well, you're one percent poor. <laughs> it, it's not that you're making less. I don't know less actual dollars. Isn't like you you went from making forty k to thirty nine k, but uh, you, you, you still kind of. Did so (laughs) um it's like that but anyway i think we can effectively say that while the Bengals did improve they didn't improve nearly enough to put themselves in any um any way to really be very competitive in this division i'm not going to say they won't be mildly competitive we'll get a full season of joe burrow fingers crossed um after he comes back healthy from his from his injury but outside Mm -hmm. of that i don't I think they have too many problems. So,
1: yeah. And I think it's something where even though, you know, they had the worst class in my opinion, out of, you know, the entire AFC North that really just speaks to how well the rest of the AFC North drafted. And also the fact that there was no way they were going to compete in this division this year. And that's they, a like, big part of it. There is no chance they could have had a good enough draft in my eyes where they could have had that kind of difference. Um, you know, Getting a guy like Jeremiah uh, Kormoa Owosu, Owosu Kormoa, I'm already forgetting, and it's, you know, Owosu Kormoa, thank you, uh, at 46 instead of Jackson Carman, and then just kind of, if they had a different strategy, if they had a different approach, if they wanted to go that way instead of the other way, maybe. They could have gotten some serious playmakers at a lot of different positions. Um, at sixty nine, there were still a lot of good offensive tackle or offensive line pieces there. Um, they could have had a different draft that I possibly could have liked more, but again, it you can't give these things grades for th- at least three years. So, right, they're still heading in the right direction.
0: Right. I I would say if I had to pick a draft that because this is all and this is all on the margins. You know, none of this. Like you said, I think the Jets crushed their draft. They're not mm-hmm. winning the division. No. Um, so, and since we're talking about three teams here in the ASC North that are all very good, you know, all three teams won at least eleven games last season. This is all very on the margins. I would probably pick the Ravens' draft. Um,
1: I agree.
0: I think because the the like we talked, we we just spoke about all this. The Browns addressed a lot of depth. The Steelers. Uh, largely also address depth and address some of the things that they're going to have to work around Big Ben for. Um, whereas the Ravens actually made an appreciable improvement at a an, an immediate area of need. And mm-hmm. I think that alone is enough to make the difference to help them win the one to two extra games they might need. And that's not to say they're going to go from 11-5 and five to – Fuck, uh, twelve and twelve and five because of that extra game or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not saying they're going to tack on necessarily two extra wins in the win column because we don't know how the season's going to w- shake out. But I mean the extra win or two they may need, and however the the division ultimately looks in the win loss column to push them over the the edge. So I'd, I'd probably pick the Ravens here for most improved out of the draft, Be- best position to win post draft their division. What say you, big guy?
1: I definitely think the Ravens had the best class here. Um, It's the class I kind of like the most. It's the class that I think made the biggest difference. Um, I would definitely put the Browns at two, uh, the Steelers at three, and and the Bengals at four. I think the Bengals did do a lot for both their immediate needs and long-term needs as a team. I think the Browns you know, it would have been hard for them to really draft a lot of difference makers because they are so deep at so many starter positions. Um, But they got two difference makers, which is huge. Um, You know, the Steelers attacked a lot of needs and filled a lot of holes. They still have a lot more, um, which is why they're, I would say, a clear number three. Plus, you know, they are all in for the now. They're not necessarily filling Long term holes, they're trying to patch the holes on a ship that they are trying to. to uh, I was going to come up with a really shit analogy there. So I'm just going to stop before I start. Uh, and then the Bengals, you know, we talked about, you know, they're building for the future. They're not trying to have a competitive team next year. That's why they can take offensive linemen that need a lot of, you know, seasoning before get, getting out there for serious competition.
0: All right. Well, then let's uh, let's move on over to the NFC North and let's start with the Packers, which we will have stuff to say about that isn't just about the draft. Um, So the Packers took cornerback Eric Stokes, center Josh Myers, wide receiver Amari Rogers, offensive tackle Royce Newman, defensive tackle to Darrell Slayton, cornerback Shamar Jean Charles, guard Cole Van Lanen linebacker isaiah mcduffie and running back kylan hill now this is already a bad draft because they didn't take a quarterback (laughs) and it looks like they might need one um and it's just man the most packers thing in the world they still didn't take a first round wide receiver
1: They no, will never they,
0: take a first round wide receiver,
1: and uh, I'm not even a huge, huge fan of the one that they did get uh, in the third round. But you know, Eric Stokes is not my favorite player coming out of this draft. A guy with you know great, great speed, um, you know, great quickness, just not necessarily a guy that I think is going to be a huge difference maker. And, you know, is not going to be the guy that I think is going to fix this Green Bay team um because I I really don't know how they can be just so unbelievably dense and and it's something we're going to have to talk about at the end here about the decisions they're making and you know we just talked about appeasing Joe Burrow because he's your franchise player and just Green Bay's complete you know lack and desire to do so with their franchise player and Aaron Rodgers you know you'd draft him some offensive line protection at, at 62, getting Josh Myers. I don't necessarily think he's the best option that they could have had there. Um, you know, he's a guy that's going to come in and play for them, but I just don't know how much of a difference that's going to make, you know, Amari Rogers at 85, you know, you're just now getting to wide receiver. I don't think he's going to be able to come in and make a wild difference as, you know, hopefully your wide receiver too with Devonte Adams. when, You just, especially what drives me nuts about this is it's not like it's Aaron Rodgers and you have had like a great relationship and you think, okay, while we do need a wide receiver, he might be able to understand, all right, we're going to try and get some value later, approach some other things. So as a team, we can, can improve, you're already on a rocky road and he's already, you know, made statements about the desire to have weapons, the desire to spend capital on the offense and and making that a more dynamic offense and not putting all this reliance on his playmaking ability and ability to extend plays. And they still pushed it to day two and the end of day two. And man, even draft day, when all this came out, that he was not happy and wanted changes to be made and wanted an effort to be made to improve their offensive capacity. Still going away from that, you know, I, I don't want to argue for falling to those kind of demands because you have a game plan you're set on you have the guys that you're targeting it's going to throw a huge monkey wrench in and you're going to be essentially playing off you know off the cuff for the rest of the draft if you change your strategy to appease a quarterback if that was the first time they heard those pleas in that regard but it's just such a fucking mess you know it doesn't even matter what players they took it's really just Mm -hmm. the health of that front office and the relationship with their franchise player and god i do you think aaron Rodgers is going to play for the packers this year and if he does play do you think he will start for them uh hold out as a member of the team but refuse to play kind of deal
0: i i don't think Rodgers will play for the packers this year um uh, which might be me falling a little bit into the hype of things but at the same time i'm just trying to consider where because this isn't like if, um, uh, I, I don't know like who a Tag of held out or like somebody young, you know, who's like, this is what their career is right now. You know, they haven't mm-hmm. made a lot of money. They've probably made good regular person money, but they haven't made enough money where they can go, all right, shove it up your ass, I'm fucking done. That That's where Rogers is right now. Like Rogers has made enough money to be able to retire and he might have a second career, In, if not broadcasting in sports, then like broadcasting, if not with Jeopardy, then something else. He's got good charisma. And as weird as it might sound, like if he wants to do that, he will get a job doing that. (laughs) He's not an obscure figure. He will get that opportunity. If fucking Michael Strahan can do it, I believe, (laughs) and that's to say, if a defensive end, (laughs) you know, or, you know, a defense. Someone on defense who you don't necessarily get the same level of name recognition and face, a, like literally, just face on camera as you do a fucking quarterback. Then the quarterback can probably do it too. Um Anyway, so I, I actually don't think he does. And well, do you?
1: I don't. I really don't. I think whether he plays I,
0: football at all, I have no idea. But I don't. Know, I think I don't he'll think he
1: play football because I think there's no doubt that if he is in the nfl and he's there to play i think he's gonna play um i think despite how much he wants out of that environment out of that organization um i think that competitiveness is going to keep him on the field and just say hey i'm doing this just in spite of you not because like not for you type of deal right that being said i don't think he does play for the packers and i think one of Probably the best trades that you could get for Aaron Rodgers at this point, and the one that kind of keeps you in that win now window, and really, if anything, extends your contention window, is a straight up trade for Deshaun Watson. And I wouldn't know. And boy, I cannot imagine making that without a very clear understanding of the situation he's in. That's why I would never do is. it. It doesn't make any sense. I'm saying that with the caveat yeah. of if there is any clarity and any information that I'm sure the NFL teams are, you know, privy of that we are not just because of their leverage and, you know, uh, network. I
0: actually wouldn't bank on that with all the, leg- with you know, because it's not like it's uh... – it's not like it's reached the NFL front office yet. I think this is still very much so getting hammered out in court. And I'm not sure that if the NFL would have full, I'm not saying you're, they definitely wouldn't, but I wouldn't put money on it just because I would be surprised if that many people had all the details at this point. And that's a big reason why I wouldn't, I would say absolutely no to this just because I'm not sure the Packers are going to be able to figure out, if it's a risk worth taking at this point, I mean, Texas certainly wouldn't give a shit.
1: But. And I really don't want to sit like in, you know, um, to say that this would be at this point in, in that capacity. Like, I, I don't think this is happening anytime soon, but I do think if there were a trade to happen and that kind of unclarity, like, wow, unclarity, clarity, fucking words that cloud covering up the whole situation, if there is the ability for them to have added information, whether it be directly from their lawyers, whether it be reaching out to you know, the plaintiffs, I, I, I really don't even know how it would even um, occur. But I also believe that with the amount of money the Packers have and the kind of, The account yeah, just the raw amount of value that would be involved changing hands between these two teams. I think the Packers would be able to be able to get something to be able to, you know, leverage themselves into getting some information, some kind of you know, inside information that they can use to base this decision off of. You have two players of incredibly high caliber, both top five quarterbacks in the NFL, who are refusing to play for their current team. And the teams really don't have a whole lot of leverage in this regard. Green Bay has a lot more leverage with Rodgers just basically on the timeline they're on than Houston does with Deshaun Watson outside of the world of his legal battle. I don't want to... That's something that we have such little information on now. I don't want to try and speculate or you know make assumptions on that. So outside of that spectrum, I think they would be able to swing a deal for the younger, you know, better outlook at quarterback um, with Houston because of that difference in leverage. I think that would kind of even out this deal where a straight-up player for player trade that is, you know, so rare in the NFL compared to other leagues would make sense for both teams because Houston can flip Rodgers. They're not in a position to excuse me, compete, and they can flip them for serious picks. And Green Bay is going to try and make this trade in this capacity because they have something that they can't get anywhere else, which is a guaranteed top five quarterback for the next 10 years. And no matter how many picks teams can offer for Rodgers, whatever package they can offer, unless it's the Seahawks with Russell Wilson, no other team can even approach that kind of uh, player and that kind of certainty. So it'd be interesting for sure.
0: Now, really, they should trade him to Washington and Washington should surrender every single asset. They have a value that is on offense or hey, in the
1: they, draft. If they believe in, you know, uh, Taylor love. Heineke. No, love? Uh, who's love uh, Jordan Love, who they took last year in the first. The I've
0: already forgotten who this is.
1: Yeah, they took uh, Jordan Love. I want to say out of like. Utah State or Nevada or some, you know, small school out that way um, in the first round. And that was kind of what started the, you know, the next level of this Aaron Rodgers fucking hates the Packers kind of drama was instead of drafting the first round wide receiver last year, you draft his fucking replacement.
0: Oh, I for some reason, I thought you were talking about the um the, the Washington, Washington teams. Oh, I, 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 I like. Yeah, I was like, love. Yeah, right now I remember this. The Grace um, Love. Yeah, so like just to subscribe. get back to to the Packers and, and what I think their mission statement should be. I I think defense can certainly win you championships. Offense can win you championships. The only thing they can't win you championships is special teams. Um, but you have to know how the sausage is made. Like you you have to know what where where your money comes from. And if you are winning games on the back of your offense, then you should probably make sure that that is a well-oiled machine (laughs) so then you can keep winning games (laughs) on the back of your offense and then try to improve your defense, et cetera, where you can. If the Packers were in a good position, they had O-linemen, they had wide receivers, maybe they didn't have a running back, but who cares, and they had Rodgers, then, all right, hey, you're in a point where maybe you don't need – a first-round offensive piece, and you can start using that in the draft. They don't have that. (laughs) And your quarterback, who is the only reason you haven't been a relevant franchise for nearly a decade, says, I would like a man to throw the ball to whose name is not Devontae Adams because he is going to die soon, then maybe you should do that. Because not only is it good for that guy who... I know he doesn't literally sign your checks, but he kind of basically signs your checks. If he wants it, you should do it. And two, he's right. Like he's, he's he's right. If that's how you win games, if the only reason you are winning games is that the football man throws the football to the other football men, then you need to make sure that that system, that transaction is viable. <laughs> if there aren't enough good football men to be on the receiving end, you're not winning the football games because your defense fucking sucks and again that is to be improved elsewhere i'm not saying forget about it entirely and spend every ounce of capital you have on offense because that is obviously not going to work out for you in the long run but if you if your offense starts to falter and you are an offense first team You need to address that to ensure that you can at least stay competitive on that front before you try to piece you're just half-assing both sides of the ball Mm -hmm. and you're going to be shocked. It's the Jets. Oh my gosh, the Jets all over again and you're going to be shocked when you find out hey, both sides just kind of suck. Being ranked 16th in both things is not going to win you many games.
1: Let's say you are Brian Guttenkirst. I am the GM of Washington not Bruce Allen anymore I don't know who is at this point but we send you a trade offer for Aaron Rodgers and we'll give you Chase Young would you take that you don't get a quarterback so you're going to have to stick with you know love are you willing to trade an Aaron Rodgers kind of player with his kind of value for a guy like Chase Young
0: well I, I this is once again our Bryce Harper conversation is he coming back? If the answer is no, you trade him. You get what you can and you move on. And while Rodgers or? Rodgers, in this instance, Rodgers. If, if you communicate with Rodgers or his agent or whoever you talk to and you get the sense he really, really doesn't want to play. Like somehow even more than he's letting on in the media, which is already pretty strong. <laughs> then, yeah, like Chase Young's a great player. Maybe now you do switch to a defense first team or at least you see how the season rides out and you make your adjustments in the off season at the trade deadline and in the next year's draft. And you just kind of go from there seeing what this new era of Packers football is. If you feel like you can get Rodgers to come back, maybe you don't, I have no idea. I probably, if I know Rogers is coming back, then no, then I don't make the trade because I have Rodgers. but
1: right. Uh,
0: that, that that's that's I that's would, really the rub of it because if you say no to it and then rogers doesn't come back and like he's been telling you every sign is that he's not coming back and you banked on him coming back because fucking what i don't know then you're an idiot then you're if he's giving you every sign he's not coming back and you choose not to get value off of this transaction which is basically what that is it, it is a transaction where no one gets rogers and you get fucked that's on that's on you again it's bryce harper all over again
1: And it's, you know, it's one of those things where Alex Smith is involved again in this one, where unless Jordan Love has sat behind Rodgers for a year and has kind of learned the playbook, learned to, you know, get brought up to speed with the NFL speed, NFL defenses, all that. And you think he could make that kind of Patrick Mahomes-esque jump of sitting for a year into that starting role and take over for Alex Smith, obviously there's no way Jordan Love is going to be a Pat Mahomes level player. But if you think he could make a stylized, you know, something in that vein kind of jump, hey, you know, Aaron Rodgers is 37, 36, 37, 38 around there. Chase Young is a difference maker on the defense. He's that like Aaron Donald type player, that difference maker. Okay. If you think Jordan Love can take a jump and is a guy who you can, put the weight of your team on
0: 37
1: okay 37 there you go if he's not anywhere close to that you have to keep Rodgers because it is a team that can compete in the nfc it is a team that can compete for the super bowl you don't give up that kind of value for that long-term difference maker in chase young even on a rookie deal because god the jordan love that is kind of expected at this point is not a kind of guy that you have starting for a you know playoff or division contending team let alone super bowl contending team
0: mm-hmm. so uh,
1: i don't think you can unless again you know jordan love can make that jump and aaron Rodgers is not coming back
0: all right we spent a lot of time talking about the packers so let's uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be fair there is the most to talk yeah, about i was gonna say
0: I Absolutely agree. There's a lot to say about that. And actually, there's going to be, I think, probably quite a bit to say about the next team we have to talk about, and that is the Chi-Town Bears. Bears. All right, the Chicago Bears. They took quarterback Justin Fields. Who saw it coming? Offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins. Offensive tackle Larry Borum. Running back Khalil Herbert. Wide receiver Daz Newsome. Cornerback Thomas Graham Jr. And defensive tackle... Chris Tonga, Kyrus Tonga, Iris. Kyris Tonga at a BYU. Um
1: I think it's Kyris. I don't know. Did
0: you think Justin Fields is going to fall to the top 10?
1: It was one of those things where there was enough talk about it where it wasn't a massive surprise. There were definitely a lot of teams kind of in that range where they had options at quarterback. They didn't have to go quarterback. And there was enough depth where like New England didn't have to move up to be able to get a guy. Um, there were teams that didn't have to move up. There were the three teams that you knew were taking quarterbacks one, two, and three. There were a hand there were, you know, Atlanta, you have, you know, Detroit to a much lesser extent. I was about to actually, I was about to ask Denver, about Detroit. Yeah. Carolina, maybe. You know, oh, the chance of Sam. getting Fields, even though you just traded for Sam Darnold, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, you're losing out on that pick. You probably don't make that trade if you have any inclination on, on taking a guy like Fields if he has the chance to fall. But at the end of the day, they took a quarterback. So, you know, Denver, Atlanta, uh, to some extent Detroit, um, and then like – Maybe the Giants could have, but I think they were, what, 12? No, they traded back. Regardless, it doesn't matter. I don't think he should have gone anywhere close to 11. I think he should have been like a number four overall pick, you know, taken there or even by San Francisco at three. He's that kind of caliber player. um, And having him fall to 11 is just an outright steal for the Bears. This feels like it almost makes up for... The Mitchell Trubisky trade, which it can't, it won't, you know, passing on Deshaun Watson, passing on Pat Mahomes, passing on any one of those guys when you're in, have the ability to have such great drafts that nice stretch of years right around, you know, when he was drafted, having the best defense in the NFL, having the ability to compete for a Super Bowl. If you just had anyone capable of just, just, not fucking up as much as Mr. Bisky did, um, so it can't make up for that unless they go on a crazy run here and, and Fields turns out to be just a, a mega superstar. But it's such an excellent pick, in all likelihood, probably the best value of any pick in the draft. Um, you know, we're going to look at this in five years and just laugh at, you know, how lucky they were to have that fall to them and or at least fall to someone where you can move up to that and, and take that player there. And it's just such a a fantastic pick for them because it's all of their worries, all of their concerns, everything you didn't think they were going to get anywhere close to touching. And it's just right there in their lap. Um, And the fact that they follow it up with Tevin Jenkins, you know, uh, uh, the number four uh, offensive tackle in a very good offensive tackle class, a guy I wanted at 24 in the first round. uh, And they're able to hold out until 39, you know, a tremendous run blocking, just vicious meanness, just the attitude changer you want on your offensive line. I think he's already their best offensive lineman uh, and hasn't stepped foot on the field yet. Those two picks are, are this entire draft. I, I don't know much about the rest of these guys. I don't need to know much. It doesn't matter who they took. You get those two guys in your draft, and this is a difference-making, franchise-changing draft. You know, if this is your you know uh who would he favorably compare to like your cam newton and getting like a oh i don't remember who they took around there but it doesn't really matter so i'm just going to give up on that idiom that um allegory so it's a fantastic draft for them because it's changing their entire outlook for the next five eight ten years um so this is fantastic for them i think he's going to come in and he's you know outside of trey lance i think he has the the likelihood of being you know the best rookie quarterback and easy favorite to win rookie of the year
0: uh, I it is wild to see such a good draft out of Chicago I mean end of thought <laughs> like and it, they they did a great job and depending on what happens with this Rodgers business they might be in a position to take the division
1: which is nutty
0: insane because Because, there was a
1: lot of there was a lot of question marks coming into this draft coming into free agency and there were not a lot of people hopeful about this bears team
0: no no and they were right to be so worried um obviously offensive weapons is probably still going to be something of an issue and it'll be interesting to see how this offensive line actually gels but i mean they did what i would imagine most bears fans would want them to do they got a great quarterback prospect in Justin Fields took two offensive linemen right after that, their first five picks are all on the offensive side of the ball, following up those two offensive line with a running back and a wide receiver and then addressing some defensive depth pieces there at the end. And again, like that seems like exactly what you'd want them to do. Um, And they, they, they take a quarterback, they, they get him protection. They get him a couple of weapons. Again, but interesting to see how all that works out. But if, if at the end of the day your season gets you're less competitive than you would have liked to have been because of wide receiver depth, and that's the only thing or that's the biggest thing you have to complain about. That's a pretty fucking good season. So we'll we'll definitely see, but wow, I, I mean this is nice.
1: I think I kind of want to take a minute just to go and look over their depth chart and see how close they are to having a contending team here. I mean all right, you have Justin Fields, a quarterback, Great. With David Montgomery, and Tariq Cohen with Damian Williams now, who was the guy in Kansas City before they took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. All three of those guys at running back, all three of Great them can back. carry the ball, all three of them can catch the ball. Great depth there. They're going to be a running team. You have Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet at tight ends.
0: Whoa, Jimmy Graham's alive?
1: I, I honestly thought he was no longer on the Bears, but I guess he's still under contract. Okay. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, it has the rookies on there, so I assume this is fully up to date. Their offensive line is now Tevin Jenkins, James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, Jermaine Effetti, and Elijah Wilkerson. I mean, Cody Whitehair is a good player. I like Cody Whitehair. James Daniels has the potential to be a good player. I don't think he's kind of shown it yet. Tevin Jenkins is a guy I'm, I love. Uh, Jermaine Effetti is a guy, Elijah Wilkerson, they're all guys. You Jermaine Effetti has been water.
0: fine everywhere he's been outside of the Jets. He was right. he's a, a guy. little bit worse on the Seahawks, but by and large, he's been he's been a decent player.
1: You know, he's he, not like some guys that the Bengals had last year that were so bad they were actively making it harder on the offense. Right. They'll do their job. They're not going to be great at it. They're not going to be good at it always, but they're going to fill that role They're. They'll do good enough to get by.
0: By the way, um, Jimmy Graham is going to pay $10 million this year. This is his last
1: it's year the on this contract. contract. <laughs> that is so fucking stupid.
0: I agree. Um, um, and holy shit. the dead cap, if they end up cutting him, is $3 million. But I don't even know when that would happen.
1: Couldn't tell you. Um, and then at wide receiver, they have Allen Robinson back on the franchise tag. They have Darnell Mooney. Uh, Demir Bird, Anthony Miller Still, Riley Ridley, Javon Wims, their sixth round pick and they signed uh, Marquise Goodwin so you have Allen Robinson there, you have Darnell Mooney there those are a great one 2 and you have a lot of depth pieces to compete for your three, four, five. you know, you're going to be fine there, you know, for a guy like Justin Fields, you have weapons that you can rely on um, a lot of them are young players but at the end of the day There are guys that can still play, and it's not going to be, you know, uh, a rookie um, Joe Burrow with like a Tyler Boyd as your best weapon, or, you know, Sam Darnold when he went to the Jets, Josh Rosen with the Cardinals. Like, he's going to have plenty of weapons to get by. Um, And God, their fucking defense still looks good. I don't want to go through the whole defense, but Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, Robert Quinn is. Still walking and getting paid a lot more money than he should. Desmond Trufant. <laughs> they signed Artie Burns. Get fucked. Uh, and Eddie Jackson is still there. So, you know, they have their second round pick at cornerback, Jalen Johnson. They have guys, they have Mario Edwards, uh, Bilal Nichols, Eddie Goldman. They have players, it's not the same defense that they had, you know, five years ago or you know, four years ago when it was the best in the NFL. I honestly do not know how to tell time anymore. Thanks, COVID. But this you're right you know if if rogers is out this is a team that will likely be winning the division if they can't hold up to that
0: yeah they're only but i mean you know the vikings i guess could be something and the bears are an unknown quality so it's little just faith in kirk cousin that's no, that, that's I, the man. problem
1: <laughs> Unless um, is the guy out of nowhere you know a yeah dak prescott kind of deal no you're no. um
0: yeah, I, I also would like to say I think that I think there is something to be said about Justin Fields being the I believe the first black quarterback in Chicago Bears history. I
1: believe didn't they have uh what's his face from? Oh, no, I think the they Buccaneers. had someone in the 80s. But they had some guy with the Buccaneers. I forget what his name was. He was drafted early first round Um, kind of flamed out. Fuck. Uh, this is going to drive me nuts.
0: Uh, the only black quarterback to start more than one game for the Bears is Cordell Stewart, who had seven starts oh. in 2003.
1: That's a name I have not heard in a long time.
0: Henry Burris
1: Josh Freeman was got a
0: last-minute start in 2002. Jason Campbell got one start in relief of Jay Cutler in 2012, and then that's it.
1: Nope, played for Minnesota. Not
0: Vince Evans of. apparently also made a, a start for them. So there's not not a not, a, not a very long list of oh, names here, this. which also doesn't, you know, it make that makes some sense. The history of black quarterbacks in the NFL being allowed to stay quarterbacks and start for NFL teams is pretty short list. I mean, they really started in the '80s, which um, is insane. So, uh, but anyway, you know, I, there is something I think to be said about that. Um, I'm not sure what I would have to say about it or at least a person in my position, but I think it is worth mentioning and that's super cool.
1: Hell yeah.
0: All right. So then in that case, yeah, let's take it over to, uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, let's look at their draft. They took offensive tackle Christian Darasaw, um, quarterback, Kellen Mond, Linebacker, Chaz Surratt. Uh, Guard, Wyatt Mm -hmm. Davis. Defensive end, Patrick Jones. Running back, Kene Nwongu. Jesus Christ. Nwongu. Cameron Bynum. Sorry, safety Cameron Bynum. Defensive end, Janarius Robinson. Wide receiver, Amir Smith-Marset. Tight end, Zach Davidson. And defensive tackle, Jalen Twyman. Um... Man, I don't even, I, I don't know these players, but I, so I, I really can't speak to the the quality here, but just from a positional group s- standpoint, this is bizarre.
1: Yeah, this was all over the place. And I'll be honest, I I kind of really like this draft. I mean, they <sighs> were able to land Christian Dariusaw, you know, at 23 in the first round, which is just great value for him. Instant day one starter, instant plug and play. Absolutely no worries about him. And then... They traded back. They already had a lot of picks in, you know, the third, fourth round. They traded back, accumulated picks in that area. And they ended up with Kellen Mond, Chaz Surratt, Wyatt Davis, and Patrick Jones in the third round, who I all think are, you know, going to be guys who are going to be putting a lot of minutes on their rookie years. You know, Chaz Surratt's a really good linebacker for them who's going to, you know, play a lot of minutes in a defense that loves its linebackers. I think he fits really well. I love Wyatt Davis at 86 plug and play guy at center, you know, one of the best centers in all of college football the past couple of years at Ohio state. And Patrick Jones was one of my, you know, dark horse guys who I just saw at the senior bowl and loved watching him play. Like he was putting up some great reps. Um, You know, he's one of those guys who with a little refinement, little technique control, little, you know, this, that, little sugar spice and everything. Nice. could be a really great player. Um, and you know again fits well in that defense I think what you're seeing here is you don't know a lot of these guys and a lot of these positions are you know kind of weird and wacky but they fit the system that they're going to and it's it's a guy that you know Mike Zimmer's a coach where he knows what works well for his defense and he knows the kind of guys that he wants and, and where they would excel and knows how to help them excel and I think he did a good job highlighting those defensive players and and you know finding key pieces along that offensive line and um, you know some some pass catching guys you know later on in the draft where it'll work out i think the big thing here is kellen mont who you know has a a very inconsistent but very electric tape and history where he makes some incredible throws we saw it at his pro day we saw it at texas and m but he's just so inconsistent with it um, to whatever degree or whatever cause, you know, it's hard to say without being able to watch every snap and, and really break him down. I, like, I don't know why he is so inconsistent. It's one of those things that usually comes down to mechanics and um, you know, things like that, but he has a pretty damn high potential. And again, it's going to be one of those, you know, Dak Prescott kind of players where he can use his legs. He has a cannon for an arm he was, you know, a little uneven up and down throughout his career. But when it comes down to it, when you put him in a good system that highlights what he does well, it can work. And, I mean, you have serious pass catchers there now. You have, you know, Justin Jefferson. You have Adam Thielen still. You have Dalvin Cook. Um, you have all those tight ends that I don't think are still in Minnesota, but they used to be. And I don't know what's going on there. It's not a big deal. But he he could do well there. You know, it's not going to be putting all that pressure on Kellen Mond if he were to take over for Kirk Cousins, which it's got to happen at some point. Um, it could be, it could be one of those storylines that really jumps out.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it. I know we've talked about it in the past. Is, is this the last year of Kirk Cousins, contract?
1: I, I have no idea. It's one of Ever. those things where it's like, I just assume it's going to happen and, till it stops
0: <laughs> every year it seems to like keep is it, going Is it over uh no it's not oh my god it's a lot isn't it oh, no. oh I'm my look god it up too. it's 31 million dollars this year
1: yeah and I then next it year that. it's
0: 45
1: uh, that's the one i forgot yep oh my
0: god that's so
1: fucking bad
0: oh that's my so bad. god that's pat
1: mahomes money for kirk cousins
0: like literally if they cut him which i mean they obviously wouldn't cut him but if they cut him 76 million dollars dead cap it's so
1: fucking insane it's, so fucking insane. it's all Garrett. he was the guy that signed the fully guaranteed contract and we thought it was going to be game breaking and i'm sure it would have been if it was any other quarterback that didn't fucking implode like Kirk cousins well He's i mean just, we said it was
0: a bad value contract the minute it happened <laughs> like
1: it, again, i honestly don't remember i know we loved the idea of getting into fully guaranteed contracts in the nfl i don't remember how how cold our feet were about it being kirk cousins that we were oh no i
0: remember it very distinctly because the because the bidding war was between the jets and the vikings and i remember distinctly I i wanted kirk cousins on the team if the money was right and when I saw that he went to the Vikings, I was like, oh, that sucks. But when I saw it was for 30 million dollars a year, I was like, ooh, we did not need that.
1: Don't mind that. Don't <laughs> me. go ahead.
0: Again, if the Jets went for the Kirk Cousins experiment at like 20 million, even 25, maybe. Then maybe you go, all right, you know, 25 million for three years. That's 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 a decent amount of money. But like, all right, you know, we'll survive. Um, oh my God, like they dug a hole and then they saw that it wasn't working. We're like, time to dig deeper, and it just got worse. Um <laughs> anyway
1: Uh, oh it's fucking hilarious it really is
0: uh does this draft move the needle for this team much again it's it's tough because there's all right uh, two situations does it move the needle for the team with aaron Rodgers in the division or uh and does it move the needle with for the team without aaron Rodgers in the division
1: unless justin fields implodes It doesn't matter if Aaron Rodgers is there or not. This team's not really going to make that kind of impact. I mean, they were not good last year, and we kind of saw why. It's not like it was this mystery throughout the entire season. Of course, the expectations were always going to be higher, but we kind of saw pretty quick what the reasons were that they kind of fell apart. Man, with Kirk Cousins there, it's still it caps you so hard. You know, I know Dalvin Cook is going to be the workhorse, is going to be the focal point, is going to be that offense. But with that ceiling, that capped potential because of Kirk Cousins, it's tough. It's going to be real tough. Um, And I just think the Bears with Justin Fields, even if he is pretty bad, I mean, Andy Dalton's not great, not really all that good, but he's a guy who's kind of one of those Ryan Fitzpatrick of like, he'll do enough if you just put all the pressure away from him and just kind of. If you're thinking
0: about cutting him or trading him, the next game after that, he'll be phenomenal.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it moves the needle, but I will say it has the the setup for a post Kirk Cousins run.
0: I, in, uh, I That's what I was going to say. For.
1: They're not trying to compete this year. They're looking down the road.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's impossible for the for this team's needle to move with Kirk Cousins at the helm to any significant degree. But mm-hmm. yeah, this it's a draft that makes the team as a whole decently better. But again, with the quarterback.
1: All right, right like the needle's always going to move because you are just getting this influx of talent and new players, and there's turnover. But it's it's not meaningful.
0: Right, not not in their current situation. So. Let's take this then to the final team in the NFC North, the Detroit Lions, the perennial bottom finishers in the NFC North. They took uh, offensive tackle Penai Sewell, defensive tackle Levi Onwazuriki. Onwazuriki.
1: I can't help you there.
0: Onwazurike. I'm not sure how the pronunciation there at the end. Onwazurike. <laughs> um Alim, I'm oh, sorry, defensive tackle, Alim McNeil, cornerback, Ifietu, Melifonowu, nope, Melifonwu. Melifonwu. sorry, Melifonwu. <laughs> I added too many syllables there. Um, wide receiver, Amon Ross, St. Brown, linebacker, Derek Barnes, and running back, Jamar Jefferson. Um, it's, they just
1: wanted their own Jay Jefferson.
0: Yeah, truly. It's, <laughs> it's tough to know where these Lions are in a post-Matt Stafford world, even though their new quarterback is another very well-known quarterback in Jared Goff. And what I mean by that is, are they going to try to put... No, I don't want to phrase this. What I mean by that is, are are they going to try to win with Jared Goff? Or are they going to take a Vikings approach and say, fuck this guy, we're just going to put together the best team we can let this contract burn out or make a trade to get him away from us some other time, whatever, and install a new quarterback to head up this regime.
1: I can tell you what, if they can't do it with Matt Stafford, they are sure as hell not doing it with Jared Goff. Um, Well, yeah, pretty clear downgrade. And I'm so fucking excited to see Jared Goff without Sean McVay. Uh, just, I'm so curious about what that's going to look like. Um, so that's a, a wild question mark that I'm super excited for. Um, that being said, I love the Penn Ice Will pick. I mean, how can you not? That value there is just unbelievable, you know, arguably the second best player in the class, and you're getting him there at, at seven without having to trade up. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, going defense for you know pretty much all but one other player up until the seventh round is curious because there are a lot of holes at wide receiver you didn't really fill the biggest one until Ross st brown which by all means i do think is going to be a, a really good player for them i really like him as a player but without kenny galladay there anymore you know the lions receiving chart is very weak um but again, I don't think they're going to be able to, to really get anywhere close to competing this year. I think they're going to have to just continue on with this teardown and rebuild. Um, the other wide receivers they have are Brashad Perryman and Terrell Williams, neither of which are guys that I think are difference makers. Um, so, hey, you got a lot of accent pieces to not really accent against anyone. Um, so, it's a... It's a fine draft. It's a serviceable, serviceable draft. You hit it out of the park with penn i You kind of just tread water and, you know, Mellon Fonwu could be a really great cornerback. Oh, uh, Wuzuriki, on Wuzuriki, uh, I think we'll settle on that, is going to be a really good player on that defensive line. I just don't think we're seeing the kind of impact players that are going to be difference makers for the rebuild throughout the rebuild they can prove themselves i just don't think they are changing the rebuild with the kind of talent they're bringing in so uh, i'm not super hopeful it's not a fantastic draft but it's it's fun
0: okay um
1: but i mean getting a Monroe, julian haru j st brown is just that's an out of the park pick as well
0: so Let's take a broader point of view then on the um, NFC North as a whole. Um, I'd say, unlike
1: Before the AFC
0: North, oh, yes, yeah, so, sorry, go ahead. I would say,
1: uh, Amon Ra, Julian, uh, Haru, Saint, or Jay St. Brown is brothers to Packers wide receiver Equinamius Tristan, Amotep, Jay St. Brown, if you were concerned. Just throwing that, that wild fact about that family and their names out there.
0: That is so a please. lot of information. Continue. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay.
1: There's a third yeah. one at, at USC as well, so we'll get that in like two years.
0: I, I can't wait, honestly. Their parents are doing a great job with these names. Um, anyway, I, uh, I unlike with the AFC North, I think the NFC North does have a big move in the Bears. I know they still finish second but they finished second in the division at eight and eight. And I think if they can go eight and eight with Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you put an actual quarterback on that team, I mean, they have a pretty decent shot of being better than 500, which is odd also because 500 is now basically impossible um, unless you win eight, eight and one. Um, which I shouldn't say impossible, unlikely, um,
1: that is impossible.
0: It it's whether they finish second again, or take the division is relatively irrelevant because if they went 12 and again, I guess it's 12 and five or whatever. Um, oh,
1: so I hate this and, and, and you know, the Packers, a,
0: I know, I know it's one not what we're player. used to one game. Right. Um, you know, assuming they finish one game behind the Packers, Packers go 13 and four, and Bears go 12 and five. Finishing second, 12 and five is very different from finishing second, eight and eight. And while it, this might not necessarily, if Rogers stays, affect the division standings, I think this is such a huge change for maybe the broader picture being the NFC standings for where the Bears end up ultimately falling. Um, so I think that this draft is rather impactful for them while it might be less to significantly less impactful for the other teams here in this division.
1: And while I really can't argue with the idea that like finishing second, eight and eight versus, you know, 12 and five, that is a huge difference. You're right. Difference. you're, You're right. I don't think they'd sniff either one of those records. I really don't think this is a team that could get to eight wins. The bears. Oh, sorry. I fucking thought we were still talking about the Lions.
0: Oh no, the Bears.
1: Yeah, okay. Because you were talking no, about the, Joe Flacco.
0: The Lions finished last in the division at five and eleven.
1: <laughs> right. I knew Joe Flacco and Mitch Trubisky were in different places than we remember them being, especially last year. Um, I know Mitch now went to the Bills, and I was just kind of like, "Wow, I guess they wow. did both leave." And
0: I totally forgot Mitch Trubisky is on the as on the the Bills now.
1: Yeah. But yes, you are correct. I wow. think the bears are very much in that range and very likely to, I think you're, you're kind of on point with the ceiling and floor that they have there at this point. Um, so, yeah, no, uh, I'm going to just concede uh, because I was clearly way off base.
0: All right. Well then we'll call that, that for um, the, the North, we still have the South and the West to get to eventually, Um Do you want to talk a a prominent baseball story? Do you want to save that shit for another time?
1: Uh, I think we should mention it and kind of prepare for kind of the next time this happens and be ready to talk about it. Like tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there uh, there was another no hitter last night in the MLB and we're recording this on Saturday. We usually record these things on Sunday. So if something happens today um, that's interesting, we're not going to mention it because it hasn't happened yet. It's Um, Mother's
1: Day and we love our mothers. Yeah, we're Your taking moms.
0: the day off to spend time with our mothers. Mom, so, you
1: listen to a podcast once every six months. Make you, sure it's you, are, you are very unhappy with the way I, I say some things, and I get it. I say many things bad. I also say some dirty things. It's life. You listen to anything. I love you. You're my ma.
0: What a sweetheart, ladies and gentlemen wholesome content can you please
1: like remind me if i said anything truly horrible so that if i do tell my mom to listen to this episode not this one i'm not disowned by the time she gets to this point all right
0: you didn't say anything in this one (laughs) um there's some things in the last one with m that were a little bit spotty but not this one (laughs) you said cunt hair in the last one
1: yeah hey ma are you okay with me saying cunt hair on 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 the podcast oh cool thanks ma
0: anyway um so last night, Wade Miley threw a no-hitter, which is a slightly less offensive version of saying um, Homer Bailey threw a no-hitter. I don't feel as offended as the two the two times that happened.
1: Yeah, which still blows my mind. Three, but yeah, it's it, like one of those like, oh, like Dallas Braden threw a no-hitter. And it's like, all right. if Dallas, Dallas Braden waited... threw
0: a perfect game.
1: Right, you're right. Perfect game, yeah. I should say. But like. Yeah, okay. Dallas Braden was good, but like, if he wasn't a broadcaster, I would have no fucking idea who he is.
0: Seriously, if he wasn't like part of a, the starting nine podcast, I guess I would have yeah. absolutely no clue who he was. Um, I know he
1: does the uh, the A's broadcast as well.
0: Oh, does he? I did, yeah. I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the fourth no hitter in baseball this season, and we are one month and seven days it's into May, the season.
1: It's May eighth. It's May eighth, and we've had four no hitters. There's and, been a lot of seasons without four no hitters. And two
0: of those no hitters were almost perfect games. Yeah. I know a lot of no hitters are almost perfect games, but like the Joe Musgrove no hitter was a, a not a perfect game by one hit batter. And the John Means no hitter was a, a not a perfect game by a drop strike three.
1: And Carlos like, Rodon's was because he hit a batter, I didn't, hit him on the I, foot in like the ninth yeah. inning.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I totally forgot about that too. I didn't watch the Wade Miley one. I don't really care. Um,
1: I saw it while I was driving, and I was like, I don't care enough to put that on. I I'm not risking an accident to watch Wade Miley pitch. No, I'm not. (laughs) Like I I got my I got my first no hitter this year. I got my second no hitter this year. I don't. eh, I'm okay.
0: And 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 so it's led to the question of because MLB decided they wanted to one make the ball lighter, or and two um, make it deader. And apparently what this has done is it is allotted – based on the broad trend in baseball, I am left to assume that it, somehow this has allowed pitchers to throw harder. Everyone's throwing harder. And I, it's it's one thing to say everyone's throwing with a higher spin rate because the math is working out that they are able to do this. They have unlocked some level of being able to change grips and use the seams in a different way, yada, yada, yada. Um, whereas with this, I mean, everyone's throwing harder and that's mm-hmm. odd because that's not usually individual players don't usually throw harder than they have the past three seasons. Usually what happens is you get new guys who come up, who came up with a different training regimen that has built them to throw harder. Whereas the Chapman has thrown more pitches over hundred miles per hour this season than he did all of last season in fewer games
1: half as many games yeah we're at that point we're like right at the halfway point of last season right um and you know part of me you know wants to think well like all right they dead in the ball you know in such a way where all right less home runs guys are you know training to hit the home runs three true outcomes you're dead in the ball they're falling short into outfielders gloves that's a hit that's a run right off the board and it's an out for you, you know, can of corn. But the fact that everyone is throwing harder and it's this just wide, proven at this point, you know, increase along or, or sorry, uh, yeah, across all of MLB. It's it's got to be something, you know. It's not like you said. It's not you know raised stitches causing increased spin rate. It it's hey, if it's a lighter ball with you know similar dynamics. Elsewhere, they're going to be able to throw it harder. That's just kind of the way it is. And,
0: and Don't get me wrong.
1: Up. I mean, no-hitters are fun to watch. There's no doubt about it. They're really exciting. And I'm sure it's going to regress to the mean where there's not four within the first like five weeks of the season. But the fact that there's this many is concerning because I don't want no-hitters to be a weekly thing. it'll all become meaningless like the Padres got the first in their history by a kid from San Diego just traded for him second start with the team it was this wild thing I've never been more excited you know watching a baseball game it was so much fun and it's practically meaningless because it's like oh it was just the balls that year he didn't earn it in the same way because the balls made it easier so it's not the same and you can't compare them And it's like, it's a no hitter. It's a tremendous feat. It's something that is so rarely done. It's such a a rare event, you know, for anyone to do in any sport of, you know, this magnitude, I don't want to, you know, I don't want anyone to be able to hit 40 home runs. I don't want anyone to get 250 strikeouts. I don't want anyone to be able to pitch a no hitter.
0: Right. Uh, And I, I get that. And I don't see how this works to baseball's advantage, which is the part that is also mind-blowingly stupid because no hitters are great because in part, cause they're special, like you said,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but if it's every game, as much as I, I believe pitching is exciting. You believe pitches, pitching is exciting and pitching is an event. It's half the game. It's half of why people watch. And if, These things end up happening with such frequency, and we're not getting hits. There needs to be a balance. There needs to be action on this side of the offense. Otherwise, you have a lot of people who are frustrated. It is a bad time being a Cleveland Indians fan right now because you got no hit twice in 30 fucking days. (laughs) That sucks. That sucks. And, yeah, is it part of the Cleveland front office's fault for how that team is constructed? Sure, is it the hitting coach's fault because of the approach, or it didn't give the information? Whatever, who cares? Point being, if you say, "Hey, fans, watch these Cleveland teams," and they watch these this Cleveland team, and they go, "Oh, fuck, this sucks. We're not these getting hits," and that's happening on certain extents to all of baseball at the moment because of what they decided much to Cleveland do. How better Cleveland
1: would be if they still had Francisco Lindor? He's so good. Yeah. so that's a that's a tangent I should not have. Track.
0: Uh, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, and I i don't know what this does for you because there's already been conversation about, I mean, in, in just the past three years about uh, making adjustments towards the pitching side of things to help even the playing field a bit because pitching has gotten so good that strikeouts are just through the roof. And you can blame some of that on people looking to remove the in and out swing from the game in favor of a more arc swing to try to get more lift on the ball, try to turn some line drives into home runs, what have mm-hmm. you. Uh, another big part of it is because whiffs are up because movement has been improving dramatically, which is, which is great. That's a good thing for the game in certain respects, the same way that home runs are good for the game in, to, to a certain volume. Like, like Corbin said, if everybody's hitting 40 home runs a game, or home oh, 40 home runs a season, imagine that's also not good. Again, it's too lopsided. There needs to be some even-handedness. And it feels as though MLB just said, ah, fuck it. It feels as though they made an adjustment and had no backing for how that would work and just decided right. to do it because it was something to do
1: and you could almost see the reasoning where it's like, all right, Hey, if guys are throwing a lot more, no hitters, our fans will want to watch more games so that, you know, cause oh, like we could watch this game. They could throw a no hitter. You don't know. It could totally happen. Like we should watch. But all that does is, Oh, do you want to watch this game? There could be a no hitter. It's like, now nah, I'll catch one this weekend. Or I'll catch one later on. It's, yeah. If it's you, a-
0: if you watch baseball every week, you, you, you had like a one, you know, week seven days you have a one in seven chance of catching a no hitter basically
1: sure i don't know exactly how that math works and i won't even attempt to try but i will trust it
0: i mean you got five weeks and you got four no hitters it's a that's a, a little less than one per week and
1: weeks got seven days so three goes or four yeah. goes into five more than one. yeah yeah you're correct
0: <laughs> it's um I'm not even sure it's that I think the rationale is we have to deaden the ball because we don't like how many home runs are being hit and we think it's going to encourage more home runs being hit and we want to encourage more balls in play, and that's not necessarily home runs because home runs are not in play. That's why they're home runs. they go out of play. Um, and then the ball construction part I find odd, the the weightiness of it, I don't get that point. Maybe that's part of the package deal of deadening it is this. I, you know, whatever they did to do that resulted in it being dense.
1: So there's less bounce off the bat. Maybe. I don't know. Although isn't that the whole premise behind corking? I don't know. I don't know. Uh,
0: no, the premise behind corking is that there is less, no, so that there's less weight in the bat. So you have a higher, you have a, um, Oh, right. You cork the
1: bat. Not the ball. Good job, Corwin, you fucking idiot.
0: Well, I, when I was a kid, I thought that they, like, you know, like, people have said that they put, like, you know, super balls in the bat to try to get more bounce off the bat. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes well, sense. do they just
1: throw those?
0: Um, I, 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 Again, I get MLB's dilemma to a certain extent, which is, like, you know, we want more balls in play. How do we do that? And the true answer to that is no one fucking knows. <laughs> like, mm. and honestly, having the ball be more lively actually is probably a good thing because it turns more what otherwise may have been relatively soft contact shots into line drives. More, more level swings will end up resulting in more hard hit balls that, you know, not because not everyone today, not everyone swings with an uppercut swing.
1: Like Eric Cosmer.
0: It, even even guys like Giancarlo Stanton. Giancarlo Stanton hits a bunch of home runs with a relatively level swing because he smacks the fucking shit out of balls. Mm-hmm. And the reason he gets... doesn't need to. Right, he doesn't need it. And if you let players develop swings that have a more level approach to... Because it's more comfortable for them because they like having a high batting average fucking whatever. Because it works for them. Because it helps lefties beat the shift. Because it helps righties beat the shift whatever, so that they can shorten up, their, shorten up their approach and actually go for a base hit, if that is what the goal of their plate appearance is for whatever reason that may be. You're not going boom or bust on the home run. We got no outs. I want to try to, base is loaded. I want to try to, whatever the reason is. There's situational mm-hmm. reasons for it. Um, then having the ball be a little bit livelier off the bat might end up resulting in fewer uppercut style swings to go boom or bust and allow some... Again, some more balls that otherwise might have been not hit as hard to be hit harder, go a little bit farther and make it tougher for defenders to get there. But I have no idea.
1: I mean, I I know whatever opinion I can kind of gather from watching baseball and, and not being a lifelong fan, you know, the idea of hey, increase stitch height, lighten the ball to get it, you know, more bound or sorry make the balls bouncier, So they are livelier off the bat, but those increased stitchings makes it easier to get strikeouts. And it's more of a three outcome kind of deal. Yeah. I mean, you're going to add a lot of runs that way. You're going to add a lot more exciting pitches that way. That's kind of a best of both worlds while just kind of surrendering the middle of, you know, like the middle of the field, middle of middle outcomes, things like that. And I don't know if that's going to be the answer. I really don't. You know, I don't know if that's something that's going to make bi- baseball more or less exciting. I don't have that experience. I can't predict the future. I can't predict how it would turn out. But compared to this, I'd much rather have that. You know, I, I don't really want to see a bunch of weak hit balls. I don't want to see a bunch of, you know, a bunch of just. I mean, there have been a a huge jump in strikeouts this year. It's like the highest ever, which is cool to see for, you know, when you watch good pitchers and and you're seeing this with, you know, these no hitters. It's just there's got to be a middle ground. And I don't know if anyone's going to be able to get a decisive answer, but we just got to, you know, at least they're trying and at least they're not sticking with one thing, trying to let it slide for three or four years and then ah, it didn't work and move on there every year it's something new. It's something different. And I will give them that, that they're trying all these different things just to see how it works. Cause otherwise they won't know.
0: Yeah. I, I, I do get that at the same time. I wish they would keep in perspective that this is a game of failure. And even if you put a slop pitcher in front of a great hitter, the slot pitcher still kind of has the advantage because hitting is fucking hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, a great hitter will miss the ball and not get on base seven out of 10 times. Like right. it's a game of failure. And if you're, I think you'd be very careful because the margins on how pitching changes affect pitching outcomes versus hitting outcomes are not the same. Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, Mike Trout is a dime a dozen. Juan Soto is a dime a dozen. These guys that can get on base like 40% of the time, that can always make contact, that are just all around historical level players, they don't really come around all that often. So, the, like you said you know no matter who's up they're going to be at a disadvantage
0: yeah Uh, all right well we'll leave it there for now um other fun ideas coming down the pipeline there for uh for some baseball shit but we'll address those things as they come in um yeah that's kind of it so again we're gonna try to finish out these last two uh four i guess divisions that we have in the next couple episodes we'll see how that goes um but yeah that's it for today so if you want to Follow, follow the show on Twitter, you can do so um, at Pod. If you want to hit us up, email, you can do so at numbers at gmail.com. You want to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And that's it for today. So until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.